are you running a business but you don't know how to deal with contracts? Are you overwhelmed when you even hear the word contracts? You don't know what is written inside. You are lucky because today with me I have Sarah Fox. She specializes in contracts and she calls it 500 words. What does it mean? It means that the contracts are simple to understand so you can use them to your advantage because that's what they are for. They are not to make things more difficult. They are, they are here to make your life easier. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Thank you very much for coming to my podcast and you are taking the time to being here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? What is it you do so people can get to know you a little bit more? Um, hi, Vincent. So I'm Sarah Fox. I run a company called 500 Words and my specialist expertise is creating contracts in somewhere around 500 words, um, particularly in the construction sector um, for property investors, for clients, for um, retrofit organizations, for small consultancies, and even up to big subcontractors and their clients. So yeah, um, background as a construction lawyer for my sins, um, but now um, very much focused on trying to help people to create contracts and contracting processes that really help them do business rather than get in the way of doing business. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, definitely. I agree with what you're saying because uh, I know when firstly I was raising some finance from investor, uh, I've been recommended to use certain contract, but it was like 30 pages. I didn't know what, what is in that contract. <laughs> and, and after when I sent it to that person, they were like, can you tell me what is that on that page and what is on that page? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I've been recommended yeah. to use it. And actually, like you mentioned, it was in, I, I didn't raise finance for that person actually, because that was in our, our way, yeah, the contract. So in a short, you are making the contracts 500 words. So you are making them easy to understand for both sides, right? Yeah, because fundamentally a contract is about helping someone do business to build a relationship to keep a relationship going you know construction projects or property development projects take time you have to hang around for a bit longer it's not like buying a cup of coffee you're not in and out you have to work together um, and I think a lot of the contracts we've got at the moment don't actually help that relationship don't help build mm. a good framework on which you can work together they're just paper for the sake of paper and you talk about a 30 page contract, but that's pretty small for the construction sector. You know, the, the, the average construction contract is over 100 pages long. Oh, wow. I guess I, I didn't do that many big projects yet. yet. Uh, but yeah, okay, I see. And uh, <clears throat> when it comes to, because I'm really intrigued about when you mentioned you are helping property investors also, because obviously I'm a property investor and a lot of my viewers are, you know, f that is something which called like deal sourcing. People are looking for deals to find and, you know, or different areas of where we need contracts for. And um, so do you also deal with that type of contracts, like for any, any really kind of industry in, in the property or is it just a construction? So I don't deal with real estate contracts because that's an, uh, a specialist area of expertise. Um, mm -hmm. So I will tend to deal with things related to the building works rather than um, the bits that you do in order to find a property um, mm -hmm. and deal with investors. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, generally speaking, I'm interested in making things easier for people. And I know that a lot of the contracts you were talking about, the 30 page contracts, people see that they automatically add a premium because they think I don't really understand it. So I'm putting a contingency for risk almost on my price because I'm not happy with the way things are going. So I think that's the wrong way to approach it. And particularly if you're um, investing in property and you're doing a lot of property development, you work with the same team of trades um, mm -hmm. uh, or specialists. 
um, on a regular basis, you can put in place um, something called a framework agreement, which basically agrees the terms up front and then just says what works you want doing, the rates, how much you're going to pay them for each property. So, you know, there's ways of dealing with this, which is much less of an administrative burden, much less a barrier to doing business and just allows you to kind of do your property development business the way that suits you. And also, I think the thing about the standard forms that you're talking about that are around, um, whether or not they're templates on the web or whether they're actually standard forms from some of the big publishers, they don't have any personality to them. They don't reflect who you are as a person, your background, your interests, your objectives, your values and everything else. So they're very, um, they're kind of fairly blank. They're like an aspirin. It's okay medication, but it doesn't do everything for everyone. It's Mm -hmm. just good enough and i think that's you know i think that's a shame that we don't have better documents that help us do business Hmm. yeah yeah i think it's like also like because it's uh, very accessible like when people can go on the website like law depot or something like that and it just leads you and it's going to create like a generic contract for everyone the same you just include your information of your company but it it doesn't understand what actually your business is about right Absolutely. But also, so it doesn't token your tone of voice, it doesn't reflect your values, but also because we're downloading them from effectively uh, a chat bot Mm -hmm. and we can't ask it questions. So we can't say, why did you put this clause here? And what does this clause mean? And how can I negotiate this bit? And what, what does that word actually mean? And why is this clause in there in the first place? And I got into this because I was training people on the big construction contracts. And every time I went to a training session about construction contracts people would look at me and I ask them basic questions about you know who pays whom you know who's responsible for this sort of thing and they didn't know you know this was lawyers contractors consultants and it Mm. frustrated me that we were spending so much time and money on documents which were basically a tick box chuck it in a drawer let's get on with it yeah that's entirely you know it's pointless it seems to me it's a waste of time money energy and effort and paper Um, to do that. So I think it's really important that if we're going to have a document, it actually works. It records a commercial deal. So it reflects the commercial deal. So it's bespoke rather than a big chunk of paperwork. And also that it helps us to have processes that we can follow rather than having a whole set of standard processes, which we look at and go, well, I can't do that. Mm. And I've done training with clients on um, big contracts and said, look, the, uh, the process says you can do X, Y, and Z. They said, but we can't do that. Our internal systems won't allow us to do X, Y, or Z. So it's all very well that you've put it in, but we can't actually do it as a business. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, hang on. Why do we have documents that don't reflect the business processes mm-hmm. as well as what the lawyers think? And there's just this kind of mismatch between what the businesses want to do, what the lawyers want the businesses to do, and what actually happens in practice, which means that the documents are becoming pretty much useless. Also, <clears throat> I think I'm not that big uh, in the in the game, like, you know, building things and developing. So it's really like a, very far from me, these things. And I don't even know if I want to do it. But the thing is, like when I started doing any business, um, doing in the UK for many, many years, I just wanted to get, start doing the business, start making money. And the contracts were always like somewhere like, I'll deal with that later. And the thing is, I never dealt. <laughs> and the thing is, it was just postponing, postponing and just using someone else's contracts, which they passed me. It's like, yeah, this is good to use, but it's never like really 
yours like your business related and uh, and we have one business which, which we have like a service accommodation management company and we use the contract which we've been recommended to use but for uh, quite a while now i'm thinking like we need to change it we need to do ours because we have certain terms and sometimes the landlord gets uh, back to us and it's like yeah i don't think i like this clause you know what it says that can we change it and because i don't even know what it means i'll be like yeah we can change it no problem because i don't even know what is in our contracts yeah yeah and this is really common and the other thing that we see a lot of because the internet is so makes documents available all the time and also friends will make them available people pass us a contract saying i've never had a problem with it now that is not in itself a sign that that's a good contract it's just a sign that they've never had a problem with yeah. their clients that may be entirely irrespective of their contract yeah. so you know what the fact is people give us documents and they they tell us it's good to go um whereas it could in fact be a disaster waiting to happen and we don't know you know if you're running a business and you're you don't have a legal background how can you rank it's not like a car we can get in a car drive it decide whether or not it's a decent car but a contract we don't have that sort of lived experience to know um so it's really difficult for small businesses and people who are just starting out in business to work out whether or not something that somebody's let them have as a sample or something can take inspiration from or just copy is actually yeah. good for their business and that's quite a dangerous thing which is why with all my books i provide samples and say look these are not perfect. They're all 500 words. And, and trust me, Vincent, 500 words is not the goal. 500 words is the starting point on which you build the bits that you want to add to reflect your business, your values, you know, your objectives. Mm -hmm. But the idea was just to challenge the norm that 50,000 words was the yeah. right number. They're like a book. <laughs> I just finished the book. It was 25. So I was like, oh, wow, it's, it's long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And also, um, so a lot of obviously people they don't even know how we met we met on the professional speaking association during the summit and um, you mentioned that you also help people who are speakers to uh, create the contracts for them is that correct yeah but because i'm a speaker and i've created my own speaker contract yeah. i um and i was part of the um, um a members page on facebook for the professional speaking association and quite a lot of new people say, oh, I need a contract. Has anyone got one I could borrow or look at or, you know, steal from? Yeah. And I, I was quite frustrated because I saw quite a lot of bad advice. I saw quite a lot of bad contracts being circulated. And I decided that that wasn't the right thing. I don't particularly want speakers as my clients because my core expertise is with bigger corporates and is in the construction sector. Mm -hmm. So I've provided over the years a couple of different templates for um, members of the Professional Speaking Association. I've just updated the speaking template because we did one in 2020, which was slightly different time. And I'm sure you recall there was a lot of virtual um, work going on. So we've updated it for 2024. And we've also done a podcast. Um, agreement because I've seen some terrible podcast agreements as well and whenever I see something which I think is truly terrible um, and it's short enough I just add my simplification tools to it so I don't just work in the construction sector I've worked with other businesses to simplify big contracts particularly ones that are causing barriers to doing business where yeah. they've tried to get a project off the ground and the contract has been the blocker and i think that's a, a massive shame so i try and simplify contracts across different sectors to make sure they don't block doing business they actually facilitate it yeah 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 absolutely yeah just from <clears throat> it's a little bit out of this topic of the speaking um, people but 
uh, I had the experience already a few times, but I just remember that we were raising some finance from one investor. He's supposed to send it uh, to the solicitor um, and uh, they're supposed to deal with the contract. They're supposed to be like a personal guarantee and uh, added things, added things. But because the solicitor, they couldn't kind of, I don't know how, how, how that can happen, but I can see it very often in actually real estate world. They don't communicate well and it takes things ages. And basically because of that, we lost that property deal because the investor was waiting for six months with this money on her on his account to send it to us. And obviously he wanted money work for him. So we lost that deal, which would be a really good deal. So we lost that. And also there was another situation where, uh, yeah, actually uh, I sourced some property to some client. And again, it was taking over uh, more than six months because the solicitor couldn't deal with the contract. There were still some issues and the deal just went away, yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting because the purpose of contracts is to help you do deals. I mean, they started. We started having contracts in the UK about 150 years ago when the when the courts would actually enforce them. Because before that, they basically said um, agreements between two men of business, and they were always men of business in those days. Um, the courts said we don't want to interfere with that. That's up up to the men to decide what they're going to do. We don't want to interfere. They started interfering about 150, 170 years ago. And that's when we started to get a slightly more professional approach to contracting um, and getting them written down. And, uh, you know, uh, we've had written contracts across the world for thousands and thousands of years, but we had them slightly more professional approaches and solicitors started to get involved because once the courts are interested, then people think that solicitors should be interested or lawyers should be interested too. Mm -hmm. But the problem is we've kind of over-engineered the legal bit of these contracts and they're now more focused on whether or not you've got rights and remedies if something goes wrong, rather than what happens to get the project going right. And that's why your solicitor is kind of effectively acting as a, a risk averse barrier to your transaction, as opposed to just going, okay, the deal is this, we've written it out properly, we've added a few clauses which we think are absolutely necessary, because otherwise it didn't quite make sense. Do you want us to add anything more? If not, go away and take it because we know Globally, there's about 0.001% of contracts end up in legal disputes. So that's a tiny, tiny proportion that end up in a legal dispute. Mm -hmm. So why have we focused too much on the legal enforcement bit and not on the deal making bit? Yeah. And I want to get people to think about contracts as just a tool to help them do business, to do deals. There's a little bit of legal in, but the focus is on the commercial bit, not mm -hmm. on what happens when things go wrong. Because if we can create better relationships, then when things do start to go a bit pear-shaped, we've got a good relationship on which we can, you know, make decisions and change it and, you know, move forward. And one of the things we should have learned from the pandemic in 2020 is that the con all the, the contracts, all the contracts in the world didn't mention the pandemic and what was going to happen. So yeah. that we had to go, oh, the contract doesn't tell us what to do at this point. What are we going to do next? Why don't we act? Because we've got a good relationship. Why don't we just sit down and agree it like, you know, the adults that we are running businesses. Mm. And I think the problem with the pandemic is it forced a lot of people to start putting clauses into their contracts to deal with if this happens again. And that's the wrong approach. It should have made a step back and go, hang on, this approach of loads and loads of words isn't working. What's the better approach for building relationships, doing deals? And that's where I want to get to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. <clears throat> we had, for example, 
just on that point uh, speaking with landlord and uh, we have renting his property we are running a service accommodation and we offered him increase every year of five uh, percent i was like yeah that's good but he said like yeah but i don't know what's gonna happen maybe in three four years maybe the prices will go rapidly up and the five percent is not gonna be enough and i can say like no 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 this is what we do or if i would have a solicitor to deal with that maybe he would be like no it'll be too much of the risk but the thing is i want to get the deal over the line i want to be making money now and not to be thinking what's going to happen in three years really and so we include in the contract if the prices would go rapidly up and the rents would go up we will deal with that accordingly um, and we don't we won't enforce this five percent increase in that uh, particular matter and so he's happy and he signed the deal and we are obviously working together but because we decided but i know if that would be done with someone else that they could maybe say like no 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 you need to protect yourself so we would protect ourselves but we wouldn't have a deal right yes so, the problem yeah. is if you spend too much time to protect one side which is i mean lawyers always um effectively asked to work for one side not both sides if they spend too much time protecting one side the client or the supplier then that's obviously going to have an adverse effect on the other side. And the yeah. whole language of one side and the other side or the opposition shows that it seems more like a battle than it is uh, coming together and working together. Um, mm. And I think that's a real danger that we take a, you know, a two one-sided approach. And I've worked with World Commerce and Contracting, which is a global con contract and commercial management or trade association effectively. Mm. And they were putting together some standard terms for buying and selling goods. And they had two different ones. I said, but why? If we want to create a fair, balanced middle ground, why do we need to make it pro buyer or pro seller? Why don't we just have it, you know, terms that can be used for buying or selling, whichever mm. party you are, because they were fundamentally different in different, you know, the same topic was dealt with so differently in each of these different sets of documents. And I said, There's, that's not an approach that's going to work if we want to make things simpler and easier and quicker to agree because the more balanced a contract is the quicker we can get it agreed and that's got to be good for everyone then you don't get the six months of delay with your client and your solicitor because if it's balanced there's less negotiation you can get the deal done quicker and actually isn't that what we're meant to be doing helping you do deals quicker yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. He just he just reminded me another example from that when you are talking about it that um, uh, there is a thing in the property on real estate called lease option agreement and there is not many solicitors they deal with that and uh, I've been recommended there is only five I think companies in the whole UK they they deal with that unless you need to explain them what you want so we approached them and was like this is what we want to do with this client and they were like okay what are the head of damage we told them everything and they start dealing with that and after they sent this 30 page document to these owners which are you know all a little bit older you know they are like not really fancy to reading any of those kind of contracts they didn't even know what this lease option agreement is when i explained them i had to explain them in uh, real people words not the lease option agreements and they agreed on that and after when they sent them the document, they were reading and it's like, what is that? What is that? And we almost lost the deal because it was so confusing and the solicitors, they couldn't get it over the line because the, the people, they didn't understand. So we said the solicitor, okay, don't worry about that. We are not dealing with you. We draw our own lease option agreement, which was two page, so very simple. Probably it's not as protective as theirs, but they signed and they know what they are having. So at least we have something because otherwise we would just lost it again. Yeah.
Well, it's it's a really important point you make. There's two points that you make that are really important. One is a lot of contracts you read written by lawyers, you can't actually work out what the deal is. So it's yeah. not clear until you've got to the very end what the actual bare bones of the deal is. That should be obvious on the first page. It should be mm -hmm. so important that we actually explain what the deal is in really simple terms in one table at the front sort of thing. But the second thing is you were talking about real people words or real you know, real language, what's called plain language. Mm -hmm. And it's so difficult for lawyers to drop their training to use fancy terms, because that's been going on for 150 years, and to go for real people language. And I've worked with, I worked with a um, housing association that was doing a lot of um, uh, uh, alterations for vulnerable and disabled and elderly people. And mm -hmm. their contract, I said, the problem is, you're dealing with people who are in a very vulnerable position. They may not, um, you know, be as alert as other people. And you've given them a contract and they, there's no list of what they have to do. There's no simple thing that says what's going to happen at their property. It's their home you're going into. They need to know when it's going to start, what hours the contractor's going to work, when it's going to finish, how much they have to pay, what happens if things go wrong. They need this information and you've hidden it. You've put it buried it in the text why would yeah. you do that why don't you just have a this is what you have to do this is the project this is what we're going to do this is how you're protected this is what happens when things go wrong mm -hmm. and when I reorganized it it's like well that makes logical sense it's like well it makes sense to me but the previous people who wrote this didn't think it made sense to them yeah again you reminded me something like when you mentioned about this written a uh, written text when we were buying a house first house to auction and um We've seen a lot of different uh, legals documents. We were just downloading them, but we didn't have the money to get it someone to check it out for us. We, it was like a very first beginning. And we were reading it and it says like in the in the numbers sometimes like, okay, auction fee, 5,000 plus VAT. And after somewhere in the, I don't know, 14th page, and you are also responsible for legal fees on the other side, plus this and this, and it, everything in the words, even the numbers in the words. So you very easily miss them. And in the end, when they agree and the shuffle is done, you are like, instead of 6,000, it's like 12,000. And you are like, oh, where did that come from? Yeah, it's really common and I see it quite often just in payment provisions between people on in the construction project and the development project where they put the payment provisions in words so you can't see. It's like, oh, I'm going to be paid in how many days? I'm, I'm scanning looking for digits yeah. in this payment clause. There aren't digits. There are, they put it in words and in, in, um, letters. So therefore, it's harder. And, you know, I've seen ones where retention, so retention is quite common on construction projects, as you know, where you keep a small proportion of the money otherwise due to the contractor in case of defects. Mm -hmm. And the longest period I saw was over five years between completing their works and getting paid the final amount of the retention. Well, the mm -hmm. likelihood of anyone remembering that they've got to chase it five years down the line is zero. So it's just a trick to move money around. And the problem with that sort of provision is it's really common, but it actually doesn't work for the parties at all um, in terms of the suppliers don't get paid what they should. So they just up their prices. So it's it's kind of like we've, we've got all these provisions which are really common, but have this law of unintended consequences where if you say I'm going to keep 5% of your fees for 24 months after you've finished, um, someone who's providing valuable works will just go, well, I'm just going to put 5% on all my prices because I know I'm never going to see that 5%. So it doesn't yeah. actually work in any yeah. way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. But because we've done it for such a long time, we continue to do it. 
And mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to challenge all of that and say, no, let's let's not do it the old way just because we've done it the old way. Let's check whether or not that works for everyone in the construction sector, because if it doesn't, then it's not really helping the sector as a whole. We need we need the whole sector to be sustainable, you know, good skills. We need the right people going in. We want people to want to go into construction. We know we've got a massive skills shortage, mm. um, but we also know that, that the construction sector builds incredibly valuable things for everybody, mm. you know, houses, hospitals, roads, schools, swimming pools, all that kind of stuff, really, really important parts of the country are built by a construction sector who are completely undervalued. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> There's a, obviously a shortage of the houses in UK, so we need people to build more houses. And if the contracts are the problems which are stopping it, you know, so definitely you are doing a great job that you are on the right track helping them to deal with that. Yeah, so that's amazing. So. We chatted a lot about obviously contracts. Also, we met on the PSA. We also already mentioned professional speaking association for people who don't know. Um, you go and you speak on different occasions to deal with that contracts, or and where where would you go? So, um, so traditionally, I'm a trade. So I'm a, a previously a solicitor. Um, I'm also a qualified trainer. So I used to run full day training courses, um, particularly for construction sector people. So they understood their contracts. They understood how to make them, what to do with them, how they can change them, how they can get out of them. So that's my background. And I branched into speaking partly because I loved it, but also because the number of people who can make contracts sound interesting, um, dare I say even sexy sometimes, is pretty few and far between. But contracts as a word is not a topic that people like. So if I talk about doing deals, people are interested but if i yep. talk about contracts people's faces drop their emotions drop they get a bit oh god this is going to be really dull yep. so i've started to speak about um really just to challenge some of the ideas that are around there about speaking so whether it's about smart contracts um mm. and ai and whether or not that's going to solve all our problems uh, spoiler alert it's not or whether <laughs> it's about how they can make deals and contracting as a process more central to how they do business there's loads of data that says about 29% of any organization are involved in contracts in some way, shape or form. And yet we consider the word contract means, oh, that's a legal team. That's just the legals. And it's yeah. not 30% of any business involved in contracting. So we need to kind of get people to think about it differently. So I try and speak at trade association conferences and just and to property investor um, groups and that kind of thing, just to get them to think differently about their contracts so that they can stop thinking they're a barrier to doing business and start to embrace them and use them properly to get over that icky factor that contracts have for most people. Yeah, absolutely. I think like if you go to those organizations, and especially if there are people who are bringing a business, like you know, they are doing those deals. So it's really important that they understand uh, contracts which they are offering because it's not always you know, some companies, they don't have their legal team and always for every deal they need to include them. So like us, we need to understand what is in it. And we do in some level, but not obviously in all of the, all of it. And now we are even hiring new people who will be making more deals for us. So it's very important. That, so you go and you obviously help those organizations to understand those things so they can make those deals happen, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I want people to be empowered to use agreements let's not call them contracts agreements that help them do business i want them to be uh, written in a language that they can understand so they don't have to ask a legal person every time they see a clause and go i don't know what this means what do i do with it 
I want yeah. people to have things that are easy to use so that they don't get, you know, embroiled in six months of email tennis with somebody else about, you know, particulars of some boring clause on page 47 of their agreement. I think it's really important that when you set up a business, you set it up for success. You think about long term, if this is going to grow and every and if I wanted to sell this business, for example, people are going to want to look at my contracts. If I've got no contracts, that's going to put a massive amount of people off. But also, I think we forget that um, in England and under English law and uh, that applies across the UK, we have freedom to contract so we can choose the terms on which we do business. We should choose the terms on which we want to do business and we should choose them when we set up our business nice and early, we should stick with them, we should update them regularly to reflect how our business is changing. But, you know, start simple and then as your business grows, build the, you know, suite of documents you might need, but start with something so that you begin to have control and you know enough about your business to be able to run it properly. It's a bit like at the beginning, you may do your own books when you've got a really small business. You may do your own spreadsheets and your, you know, your own accounts. But eventually, you'll get someone else to do them. But at least you knew what you were doing at the beginning. You knew where your profits were. You knew where your losses were. You knew what your issues were, um, your drains and all this kind of stuff. Same mm-hmm. with contracts. Start simple. Start to understand enough. Then, when you've a multi-million pound business, yeah, get some lawyers in and, and give it all to them. But make sure that you still... Um, understand that those businesses, those documents represent your business, represent you as an individual, your values and your businesses um, and all that kind of stuff. And make sure the whole team knows what they're doing because 30% of your business is dealing with these on a regular basis. If your whole team is empowered to write them, adapt them, negotiate them, then that's a massive strength for any business. Mm -hmm. It just makes it easier to do the, you know, spend time doing the rest of the stuff, which you love a bit more, should we say? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I'd do different things, and you know, <laughs> replying people are like, "What changes they want in the contract?" That's for sure. Well, you know, why don't we all spend more time doing what we love? And that's yeah. not for most people contracts. Okay, for me it is, but that's because I'm nosy and I like contracts, and also because I want to change the whole, you know, culture around contracts. I know that's a big ask, but I'm trying to get people to kind of go yeah okay these could be really positive things um in our business let's you know let's do it properly mm, absolutely yeah definitely i agree so and uh, i'm assuming you mentioned you are based in manchester but i'm assuming you are working remotely with companies as well right so it doesn't matter where in uk people are if they would like to uh, do the contracts with you and their help yes yes i work remotely particularly for um consultancy i've done that remotely for many years Um, I've uh, lectured remotely for over a decade for Salford University. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've uh, run shorter training courses remotely, but I prefer to do a full day course in person because I think it's just a much better experience. But yes, I'm happy to speak remotely um, and to consult remotely with people. My background is in English law. So, uh, you know, that does sometimes restrict it. But I know a lot of global companies will use English law as a background for running their contracts because English is a well understood language. Uh, We have quite good court systems. Um, It's not true across the world. Not everyone has a a working judiciary and working court system. So um, people are often quite happy to work under English law. Um, So that's basically the only restriction. As long as you're happy with English law or if you're simplifying contracts, then it doesn't matter where in the world you are because I can simplify a contract from any um, part of the world. I prefer to work in English though. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about me in Scotland? Well, Scottish Scotch salt is slightly different, but there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, so I've done some work with the Federation of Master Builders. Mm -hmm. We've got a suite of contracts which are in English and uh, in Scots law, and the differences for Scots law were fairly minimal, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I'm not a, an expert in Scots law, but the um, changes were not very significant. Mm. Okay, amazing. So yeah, so you mentioned us a lot, a lot about the contracts and what you are doing, but tell us a little bit more about yourself, because I for fact know where you are going soon, so would you want to share? Yeah, so um, in April, I'm taking a five month sabbatical with my husband and we're going taking our tandem from Manchester, where we live, um, through France and Italy to Albania and Bosnia and Hungary and back through Germany and Holland and back home. So we're doing about 8000 kilometers um, over about five months. So um, that could be quite an exciting trip. So I'm learning Italian because I speak French pretty well. Um, I'm learning Italian because Italy the, is the country, the next country we're going to be in the longest. We're going to be in Italy for about seven weeks. We're taking a very wiggly route around mm -hmm. Italy. Um, wow. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, really exciting. Are there a good good roads uh, for like a tandem bike uh, around? Or... Yeah, so so um, France and Italy, we know we're going to be great because we've been to both of them before on the tandem. Um, we are looking at, there's a road in um, Kosovo that we want to go down, which has tank traps. So we need to get permission before we can um, use our road safely. Um, oh, wow. but, but, you know, that's, I was thinking potholes might be what we experienced by way of barriers, but um, tank traps wasn't quite on my list. Um, <laughs> we'll see. So um, it'd be interesting. There's not, there's not so much of a culture of cycling in quite a lot of the Balkan countries. So it'll be interesting to see and we'll be it'll be getting quite hot by the time we're there so that'll be um sort of june july um because mm. originally we were going to go and cycle to istanbul but there were a couple of problems one is that it was going to get too hot towards the mm. end of the um, trip but also because a tandem you can't put on a plane or on a train um so getting oh, yeah. the tandem home was going to be very difficult and um, somebody said we could sell it we said well we've owned this tandem for 25 years oh well um, yeah. it, that'd be like be like selling a child we're not doing it <laughs> so it's uh, yeah so how are you getting the tandem back home are you we're cycling all the way back now all, all the way back yeah yeah. Cycling. yeah so it'll be a circular tour uh -huh. and are you sleeping in a i don't know service accommodations tents or... no, we'll be staying in accommodation so sometimes with friends sometimes with connections i know um so if anyone's over there and wants to offer us a bed for the night we're more than happy to accept offers um, but mostly sort of small hotels, um, bed and breakfast. Um, there's uh, various things in Italy uh, where you can stay in um, on farms uh, um, and in uh, refugios and stuff like that. So uh, a variety of different accommodation. We'll probably book it a couple of two or three nights in advance because yeah. we although we planned a route, we know that no plan survives, you know, the first experience of getting on your bike and having a, a snow day, for example. Yeah surprisingly in april so we'll see how things go we've got a couple of points that we actually have to be in a specific place by mm -hmm. a specific date but other than that we're pretty much um, able to go where we like when we like and yeah. i'll be on the spot for i'll be looking out for how other countries do contracts when we turn up at hotels to see what we're asked to sign um, oh, wow. and whether or not it'll be in english and stuff like that so i'll be i'll come back with plenty of stories from my keynotes about um yeah how people have treated us in different parts of the world. 
Yeah, yeah. Are you planning to do take a, like obviously you have phone, so you're taking the photos of the contracts when you are signing. So obviously you have the the documents, and you can share the story. Like this was good, this was mm. yeah, maybe so, maybe so. So I'm taking a proper camera as well as a um, uh, yeah. a, 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 a phone, but we're not taking any other technology because we want it to be a proper break, and also <laughs> because. Um, bikes are not always the most secure place to leave things so we want to be sure that we we don't make it easy for people awesome so yeah so it's a it's a very nice to see that you are combining obviously your contracts your uh, speaking carry or helping people in construction and dealing with contracts but also you know managing to take time off like five months it's <laughs> a lot of good time off uh, it's yeah. amazing yeah because i can see a lot of people they are just focusing on one thing and they are not able to balance uh, the life so it's very important yeah i, I believe yeah yeah it started as a joke we can't even remember when but we said when the kids were all grown up and had left home um, and the youngest went to university last year and, we, and he, he when we said oh we might you know take some time off um is that okay he was fine until we said we were going to switch the freezer off at which point he got quite concerned <laughs> i think to be honest as long as we keep the wi-fi going they'll be fine yeah absolutely okay Perfect. Yeah. So I think you shared a lot today. So I'm very thankful for you being here today. And I'll just ask you one last thing. If there will be, I don't know, some someone starting business or already in a business and I don't know, trying to scale it, will be one, I don't know, tip or advice, what would you give them regards whatever you want to say? I'd say that if you've, even if you've started a business, you're still scaling a business, just remember, you have control over what you write in the agreements you share with your clients and with your suppliers. Make sure you think it reflects you properly and doesn't do you a disservice. Mm. So don't be led by other people into long, complex documents which are one-sided and everything else. If you don't work like that, if you're a collaborative, friendly, open person, then use your agreements to continue to build collaborative, friendly relationships with your clients and your suppliers. Make sure that you stay center stage, not the legals. Thank you very much, Sarah. And uh, it was very nice having you. You're welcome.